And our text this morning we're looking at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. There is an outline in the bulletin, you will need. The Word of God, beloved. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I suspect most of you have a smartphone. If you used your smartphone only to see what time it was, only as a watch, you would be vastly underutilizing its power. What about making phone calls, checking email, texting, camera, flashlight, listening to music, watching TV, checking the traffic? I wonder if we are in danger of underutilizing the power of the Holy Spirit. When Paul writes in verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, when he writes that implicitly we are free to ask, what was the Spirit doing in Thessalonica? And can we expect something of the same in College Park? We don't want the Holy Spirit to be an underutilized power. And I ask the question, beloved, because the fact is, nothing happens of spiritual value in your life Nothing apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's actually one of the most glorious and humbling things that makes the Christian faith utterly unique. And that is, all the power comes from God. And therefore, God gets all the glory. In other words, because God amply amply supplies everything you need to know him, to live with him, to enjoy him, to serve him. He supplies everything. You and I get none of the credit. And it's exactly the way it should be. So, 
To what ends can we pray for the Spirit to work in us? What is the Spirit pleased to do? What can you ask for with absolute confidence? Yes, I know the Spirit's going to do that because the Bible says it is His job and responsibility to do it. That's the question we're going to ask based on this verse. For example, I've got the prayer in your bulletin. If you prayed this way, Jesus, because your Spirit has the prescribed purpose and possesses the power, and it is his pleasure, let your spirit do fill in the blank. You will be certain God will answer that prayer because the Bible tells you that's what he is pleased and empowered to do. And actually, there are quite a few things that answer that prayer. I didn't number them because that would have been really intimidating. The outline is obscenely long, I'm not going to apologize. Every point we're going to see that begins with C could be a sermon in itself. I have more to say about each. I'm not going to. We're going to do a bird's eye flyover, the Bible, asking this question. Spirit of God, what will you do if I ask in Jesus' name? And I've organized them according to theological headings in the way God works in our salvation. So, for example, Spirit of God, circumcise my heart. If you realize you have no interest in God, you look at your life and you go, I don't really care to know God. I'm not interested in serving God. I'm not interested in glorifying God. The reason is, is you need a new heart. We can't do any of that until in the words of Ezekiel, God takes out our heart of flesh, excuse me, stone, and gives us a heart of flesh. We can't do any, we'll never know or desire God without a new heart. Paul's way of putting that in Romans chapter 2 was this, but a Jew is one inwardly, circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Let me translate into modern parlance. I was born to a church-going family in Baltimore, Maryland in 1956. I was baptized in an Episcopal church that same year. When I was about 11, I was admitted to membership in the Episcopal church in McLean, Virginia, and I went to church all through those years. That's equivalent to being a Jew, outwardly. That didn't mean I was right with God. That didn't mean I knew God. And in fact, I had no passion for the glory of God in spite of all of that. You know why? I didn't have a new heart. And in spite of me not knowing, God, at a certain point in time, took out my heart of flesh and gave... I keep saying that wrongly. Took out my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. A synonymous prayer would be this. Spirit, cause me to be born again. In Jesus' discussion with one of the teachers of Israel, Nicodemus, about the work of the Spirit, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Do you want to be in heaven? Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know what God's purpose is for your life? God has to cause you, according to the words of Peter, he has to cause you to be born again. Ask him and he'll do that with absolute certainty. Moving along.
If you pray to the Spirit to convict you of sin, he absolutely will. It's his job. Look at it from John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And Jesus went. He ascended to heaven. He received the Spirit from his Father. And he has poured out the Spirit to do principally convict us. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they didn't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. A lot we could say about that. If you don't want to face the terrifying, condemning judgment of God the moment you die, you need to be aware of all the ways you're not like God. The Spirit is pleased to reveal them to you. He's pleased to convict you of sin. The principal way he does it is he takes the law of God, he shows it to you, and he reveals where in heart, body, soul, and mind you are not that, and he shows you where you are not in conformity with the character of God through his law. It's as if he holds up a mirror. I don't know the dirt that's on my face. Let's suppose I marked up my face with a bunch of markers and I don't know what's on my face. I can't see it. Well, the Spirit uses the law to hold up a mirror. Oh my goodness, in light of the law of God, I'm not all I thought I was cracked up to be. Pray that he convict you of sin with absolute certainty. He will show you your sin and that is a lifelong process. How about this prayer? Convert me. Only the Spirit can convert you. If you come to the point where you want to be right with God, forgiven, know God, live forever, pray the Spirit will convert you. Notice how Peter, recalling the conversion of the Gentiles, puts it this way in Acts 11. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted the gift of repentance. Everything you need to be right with God, repentance unto life, saving faith, the Spirit is pleased to give Ask him. He will give it without delay. What about this prayer? Cleanse me by Jesus' blood. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.11. Paul lists a series of sins and he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what's going on here? From all eternity, God the Father planned, willed, determined to save you from your sins, if you're a follower of Jesus. God planned it from all eternity. In space and time, around 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished that salvation. Outside of you, he accomplished it in his righteous life, death on the cross, and resurrection from the grave. 
Christ accomplished that salvation the Father from all eternity had willed. But so far, that doesn't affect you. That's outside of you. That's objective history. How does that get applied to you? By the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That because God willed your salvation, the Spirit in time, as we saw earlier from the confession, effectively called you, convinced you of sin and misery, enlightened your mind, and gave you a desire for Jesus Christ. And at that moment, the Spirit took the objective work of Jesus applied it to you. You were forgiven on the cross. You will be raised with Jesus from the dead. You were cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The Spirit applies the objective accomplishment of the Lord Jesus. Consecrate me as God's dwelling. One of the stunning mysteries of Christianity is that God is in you. God's in you. God the Spirit dwells in you. It doesn't feel like it all the time. It doesn't matter. The Spirit dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So look in vain, beloved, for a place where God dwells in buildings made by hands on this earth. It isn't in Jerusalem. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD as a definitive marker that the temple of God now are those in whom the Spirit dwells, that he is being knit together as a dwelling of God, the church of the people of God. He consecrates you. He sets you apart. Some of you have priceless heirlooms. We have something in our house, of a very special crystal goblet, and it's not in the kitchen cupboard. <laughs> it's up high on a shelf where somebody can't break it. The Spirit sets you apart for God's particular use, His particular dwelling. You're absolutely precious to Him, and the Spirit communicates to you. Pray he consecrate you as his dwelling, that he'd indwell you. Pray that he, the Spirit would concur with the Father's declaration of sonship. The moment you trust in Jesus, you are immediately adopted into the family of God. You become, as Jesus, a son or a daughter of God. But that's not always obvious, right? Who feels like a son? Well, the Spirit's job is to come, and though the Father has declared your sonship, your adoption, he's declared it objectively, the Spirit bears witness subjectively, yes, 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 I'm a child of God. Paul writes, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The very ability to call God, Daddy, is what the Arabic means is wrought in you by the Spirit of God. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. So you may, you may struggle with sin, fear, doubt, condemnation, and, and, and there is no fear in Christianity. You shouldn't fear. <laughs> Perfect love casts out fear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Ask the Spirit to witness, no, God is Daddy. God is Father. You're safe through the work of Jesus. How about this prayer? Spirit, enable me to celebrate Jesus Christ in worship. Paul writes in Philippians 3.3, 3, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus that put no confidence in the flesh 
Everything we do here in terms of corporate worship is ultimately, as we sang, is ultimately by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the point. The Spirit loves to show off Jesus. He loves to draw attention to Jesus. Think of a stage that's all dark and a spotlight comes on and for you to worship God rightly, the Holy Spirit shines the light on the glory of Christ. He's behind the scenes, shining the light of truth, illuminating the glory of Christ, and you know that's happened when you can't but help worship Him (laughs) and disavow yourself of all notions of confidence in yourself that you could ever be right with God on your own. The Spirit credits Jesus with everything. John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, Jesus speaking, I will send him from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness of me. He will bear witness. What if you prayed, Holy Spirit, make me like Jesus, conform me to the image of Jesus? Will he answer that prayer? Without a doubt. See, the Spirit is so in love with Jesus, as it were, that he wants to make all of God's saved children look like him. Kind of like parents. We, we want our kids to look like our good qualities, right? The Spirit wants to shape you into the beautiful, spotless, human glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, here's how that comes about in 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As the Spirit shows you the glory of Jesus, there is an inner transformation that he is making you into Jesus' image. You prayed, communicate the word of God to me, Holy Spirit. Will he answer that prayer? Most assuredly. Paul says that the mystery of the gospel, which was made known to the sons of men and other generations, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The apostles, the prophets, speaking in the New Testament era, making the truth known, the infallible and inerrant word of God known, making it known by the power of the Spirit. Peter reminds us that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, speaking to the churches in Revelation, the seven churches in Revelation, said this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is saying, my spirit is speaking to the churches through my mouth, through my messages. And that means, beloved, that as you, as you grow in your craving to understand the word of God, to know more God, to, 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 to see Christ in the scriptures, to understand this book, you pray for illumination and the spirit will do it. He'll turn the light on. He'll give you understanding. He wants to because he loves you. And it is through this word that you are filled with hope and you're made like Jesus and you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit wants to do. 
What if you prayed, correct my erroneous thinking, Holy Spirit? Would he answer that prayer? Without a doubt. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus speaking, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. Obviously, an immediate application to the apostles, an extended application to us who have the Bible that came from the apostles and the prophets. And one of the doctrines that our fathers in the faith, whom we call the reformers, one of the doctrines that they gave us that I appreciate so much is the doctrine of the Spirit working with the Word. So if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. <laughs> the apostles and the, the uh, prophets spoke by the same Spirit. And when you open this book and you pray, correct my thinking, show me Jesus, help me know the truth, that same Spirit loves to bring together in your mind and your heart the truth of what they were saying. Maybe not all at once, but progressively as you pray for illumination, as you pray for understanding, oh, he wants to give it to you. Paul unapologetically puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I want you to understand no one speaking in the Spirit of Jesus ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Now, apparently in the Corinthian church, some people, having been taught Jesus became a curse for us, thought they were saying something spiritual, standing up in church and going, saying Jesus is a curse. Well, no, that's not at all the truth. And if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord. It is the Spirit of God who gives you the grace to do that. The Spirit, what if you were to pray, connect the dots of biblical doctrine for me? Does the Spirit want to do that? Yes, actually as a fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for all of us, he prayed to his Father, sanctify them in the truth, thy word is truth. We grow as Christians. We become more like Jesus, thinking God's thoughts after him as the Holy Spirit connects the dots, 1 Corinthians 2. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Notice what Paul is saying. God has freely given you all this knowledge. Now, how do you make sense of it? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. He connects the dots. In the same vein, Lord, Lord the Spirit, capture my thoughts with the truth. That's Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 10. Though we walk in the flesh, we, right now we're not escaping these physical bodies, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for destroying strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Can I put it this way? Human ideas are no match for spiritually demonic temptations. You need the word of God. You need the word of Christ. The Holy Spirit is all too pleased to minister that to you for your good. 
the Spirit, what if you prayed, confer spiritual gifts on me? Would he answer that prayer? Most definitely. This passage from 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that all the gifts come from the Spirit. As he willed, distributing in the body, every person having a special niche, a special place, so that we all work together to show the face of Jesus to each other and the watching world. What if you prayed, control my heart? Why would you pray that? Because you find as you go as a Christian, proud, selfish, self-serving tendencies in your heart, and you realize, on my own, I'm never going to follow God. I'm never going to do what pleases Him. I'm never going to love other people. And Paul gives us gives us the right to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and control us. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the contrast there is what is controlling you. When you're intoxicated, you're controlled by alcohol. The The result is something awfully dehumanizing. When you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, Maybe some of you know what follows in the passage. There's worship, praise, thanksgiving, and other-centered love. I think this is probably one of the most underprayed requests in the Christian church. How often do we ask, I want to be filled, Holy Spirit, with you? And it isn't that you're going to get more of the Holy Spirit. The moment you were born again, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. The question is, how much of you is the Holy Spirit controlling Is he controlling your dreams, your motives, your goals, your desires, your aspirations? Is he in control of those, ruling them by the word of Jesus, making you like Jesus? He will answer that prayer. I also have the prayer, continue the ministry of Jesus through me. Will he answer that prayer? Without a doubt. Why? He loves you and he wants to bring glory to Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 15, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. What is Paul acknowledging? He's serving other people for Jesus' sake by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's continue this Holy Spirit, continue it. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever you need to do in life, you ask the Holy Spirit for the power. He will irresistibly answer that prayer. Speaking of prayer, the Holy Spirit will compensate for you in prayer. Sometimes we, didn't, we, don't, know, we don't know how to pray. We're just at a loss. We find ourselves mumbling and bumbling, and well, here's the promise of Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What a wonderful promise. We're actually promised that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for his people, and we actually have the Holy Spirit helping us pray as well. Man, that's double power for your prayers. You're not sure how to pray? You ask the Holy Spirit to compensate for you. He will most certainly answer that prayer. What if you prayed, Spirit of God, change me to love other people? Will he answer it? Without a doubt. Maybe not instantly. Maybe there's a lot of work to be done. Maybe there's a whole lot of things. But he will answer that prayer. Look at Ephesians 4.30. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If you love Jesus, the last thing you want to do is bring grief to his spirit. Bring sorrow, sadness, grief to his heart. And what would do that? By whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. More on that in a second. So Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with with all malice. Isn't it interesting that the stuff that grieves the heart of the Spirit is the opposite of what the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoy together. Unity, love, grace, kindness, as it were. That's why when that's among us, it grieves the Spirit because the Spirit is so jealous to see manifest here the glory of the relational love that is in the Godhead. For all eternity, the Spirit has seen the Father and the Son love each other in unity. And now it's the Spirit's job to see something of that perfected among us, and when we don't do it, it grieves him. Does that make sense? What if you prayed, conceive in my heart, give birth to the fruit of the Spirit? Would he answer that prayer? Most definitely. Not instantly, but as you pray and pray and pray, Rock read earlier, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That looks like Jesus. (laughs) It is no wonder that the Spirit whose desire is to bring glory to Jesus and make you look like Jesus has a job to produce the the character traits of Jesus in us. (laughs) Pray that. He will. Now there may be some tough times as you pray. He might show you how painfully, woefully you fall short of being this. But that's back to the sea, convict you of sin. It all works together. How about challenge me through my brothers and sisters? When was the last time you prayed that? Lord, please challenge me. (laughs) Please fulfill. Iron sharpens iron, so one brother sharpens another. Look at this verse from Galatians 6. And we're actually going to look at this verse in a lot more detail later in the spring. Just a spoiler alert. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now what does he mean by you who are spiritual? What he means is if you go back up into chapter 5, where we've just been reading about the fruit, and Rock read about if you walk by the Spirit, you'll put the death, the deeds, the flesh. He is saying, you people who are seeking to have your lives under the control of the Holy Spirit, you are uniquely equipped and competent to do this. If you want to correct your brothers and sisters in the Lord and you're not walking in the Spirit, don't do that. That isn't going to turn out well. You need the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in you, right? Gentleness, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. more we could say about that, we won't. How about the prayer, conquer my sin? The more you love God, the more you hate your sin. And and you, you want the power of sin subdued in your soul, not We don't want that perfectly, but we do want it substantially and progressively. If you prayed, Holy Spirit, conquer my sin, on the strength of Romans 8.13, and the things the Bible teaches you, he will answer that prayer. If you live according to the Spirit, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's only one way to overcome indwelling sin, the power of the Spirit. Now that could be books and books and books on that subject alone. 
Counsel me, Holy Spirit, as the paraclete Jesus promised. Will he? Absolutely. John 14, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. We have the constant perpetual indwelling of the Spirit to counsel us, to help us, to encourage us. Next one, to comfort us in trial. I'll just move now to the last section. I've been going too fast. I know I went, is it too fast? I went a little fast last week. I've tried to be a little slower. Here we are, almost finished. Convince me of eternal reality. And one of the struggles for my soul as a Christian living in affluent America is having more of an appetite for the things of this life than the things of the next. That's a struggle for me. You know, life's pretty comfortable and pretty good here. I, I suffer in different ways, but there's a lot of desirable things in this life. And the more we're enamored with those, the dimmer the beauty and the, and the glory of eternity becomes. So can we pray to the Spirit, convince them of eternal reality? Paul says, we know that the tent that is our earthly home, this body, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Translated, you want a resurrection body that will never see death, that will never cry, that will never sin. You want a resurrection body. (laughs) And he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who's given the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, if you've ever gone to purchase a home or a car, you may have put down earnest money. This is, you're going to get a new car, and they're going to order it or something. And you say, Here, here's $1,000 that just guarantees I'm going to buy it. Or you're going to buy a house. You give a down payment, 5000 down payment. That says, I'm deadly serious about it. And sometimes you forfeit that if you don't buy that thing. That's a down payment. It's the same word in the Greek language. And God is saying, you can be this certain, I will raise your body. You have the Spirit. He's the down payment. (laughs) And it will be by His power that He raises your body from the dead. Likewise, Holy Spirit, confirm God's promises of glorification. Some of us struggle with, am I going to get there? Will I have faith to the end? Well, we pray for the Holy Spirit to confirm God's promises because we live by those promises. Paul writes, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He's talking about how glorious eternity is. He can't even describe it, it's so good. Well, I want my heart captivated by that reality. Spirit of God, got to do that. Likewise, change my body to a resurrection body. Paul writes, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, right, the down payment, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. 
Beloved, if you have the Holy Spirit, your body is going to be raised on the last day. That's the promise. Change my body on the last day. Certify my belonging to the Lord, Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22 And he who has put his seal on us has given us his spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Now in the ancient world, the seal was this. If you're a king, you want to make sure the person you're writing to knew it was you. You melted wax, you put your seal on it, and boom, there it is. Oh man, that's the, sheer, that's the seal of Bashir. That's, he owns that thing. That certifies that that's from him. The Holy Spirit does that for you. He, he seals your heart as belonging to the Lord. In a moment, Michael will lead us at, at, at the table of the Lord. We call these sealing, certifying, confirming promises that Jesus died for us and raised for us. And finally, praying this with confidence, the Holy Spirit will answer. Create hope to abound in me. And we really can't do much of spiritual courage spiritual value without hope, without confident certainty that God's in control of our lives. God will see us through to the end. Not much is done without hope. And the opposite of hope, fear, just keeps us back from serving Jesus wholeheartedly. Look at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Incidentally, why would you be believing He answered the prayer, circumcise my heart. He answered the prayer, cause me to be born again. He answered the prayer, convict me of sin. He answered the prayer, convert me. He answered the prayer, create in me faith and repentance. That's why you're believing. And incidentally, on the strength of what would the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace? Do you recognize those as the fruit of the Holy Spirit? So that you by the power of the Spirit, may abound in hope. That's what God wants for you. His Spirit brings us to pass because He loves you and He's making you like Jesus. Let's pray. We ask you, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit to make us desire more the work of the Spirit, and to give us Holy Spirit-wrought faith that this is indeed what the Spirit is prescribed to do, pleased to do, and powerful to do for the glory of Christ. Amen. Are you prepared to come to the table?